And today we come on this octave of Christmas, the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, and fitting for us to, to reflect specifically today upon this fourth mystery, that of the presentation. Presentation of the Lord is a wondrous mystery of, of, of Our Lady and St. Joseph bringing the child Jesus to the temple to be able to, to give him to the, to the Lord, to, to fulfill the law which required that every firstborn son would be consecrated to the Lord. And so, in doing so, they also go for another thing, uh, is the purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Customary that, that, after, uh, that after birth, after giving birth to a child, that a woman would, would wait for 40 days and then receive a washing with water to have ritual purity. Because when one con- came into contact with blood, uh, you became ritually impure. And so, uh, it, was, it was that, uh, that kind of waiting period and preparation. Uh, and so, this... this mystery kind of embodies both of those uh, coming together simultaneously as Mary and Joseph go to the temple, our lady is purified and the Lord is presented in the temple. And it's neat to be able to, uh, to see these things, to see both of these mysteries literally side by side with one another. The reality is that although our blessed Lord told those who were listening in the gospel that there will come a day where stone will not be laid upon, there will not be a stone upon another stone of the building that you see, speaking explicitly of the temple. And we know that the temple was destroyed, as he said, in 70 AD, but it wasn't taken down to the foundations like we might imagine. It's easy for us today to be able to, you know, if, if, if you're, a building is, is being, you know, destroyed, decommissioned in whatever fashion, you take a bulldozer and you bulldoze it. You just push through it. Or I saw a video the other day of, of, of a, a baseball stadium that's, you know, 20 years ago this day, you know, and it's showing the explosions to, 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 to pull the whole thing down so they could clear it all, have a, a clean foundation. But this isn't what they did with the temple. Rather, they started on the temple. You just start at the top wall, you know, the top of the wall, and you start knocking the, knocking the wall down, and the wall then kind of crumbles, and it lays at the, at the base of the wall. And so as the, the wall gets shorter, the pile of rubble gets taller, and then they somewhere at some point they meet in the middle, and that's, that's good enough, right? They, they don't want to take the time to have to, to clear all the stones away at the base of the wall to keep on going, just having torn it down, you know, basically a, a third to a half of the way up the wall, was sufficient for them to, to consider it destroyed. And so this is what happened with the temple. But the, the blessing of that is that the rocks that came first from the top of the wall landed and they simply covered over the steps and they covered over the base of the wall. And so today there are present, uh, since all the, all the rubble has been cleared away, this is the, a place where you can go and you can literally walk on the steps where Jesus would have walked where you can walk up the steps where Mary and Joseph would have brought the Lord up to the temple. And next to the steps, there's a large pool, a large, it's it's empty at present, um, but there's a a large pool where where you would come, and if you were ritually impure and needing to be washed before entering into the temple, there's a large pool where you go and you receive the washing, and then you towel off, suppose, I guess, and then walk a few feet, and then there are the steps to enter into the temple. And so right there, these two mysteries taking place, the place where Our Lady would have been purified after giving birth to the, to the great king, and the place where the Lord would have been presented in the temple. And it's a wonderful mystery, the presentation, because it's, it's, you know, there are so many different facets of it that are present there. Because we know that, that part of it is, is just the, the fidelity of Mary and Joseph to the law. 
there's actually a, an allowance for them to kind of mail it in, so to speak. There was an allowance that, that rather than having to go all the way to the temple uh, to be able to present the Lord and, and to, to go all the way to the temple to be able to, to have this ritual washing, they could, they could do it in a, in a, somewhere in their own region, in a local place, the local synagogue perhaps, and you know, kind of do this and fulfill the requirements of the law uh, on that level. But this is not what Mary and Joseph did. They, they went and fulfilled even the smallest piece of the law, and they made it all the way to the temple, which is certainly a multiple days walk, uh, and especially difficult for a woman having just given birth uh, to a child a little over a month prior. And yet they go, and they go all the way to the temple for these two particular ceremonies, the purification of Our Lady first, and then walking into the temple, the presentation of the Lord. And the presentation of the Lord is, is rich in, in the words, not only in, the, in the, the gesture of what's being done, but also in the, the words that are spoken of the child as he comes in. So first, the, the presentation itself, the actual, the actual giving of the child. Again, it was a, it was a requirement that, that as we come from, from the Exodus, so right, as, as the, angel, the angel passed over uh, right before the Exodus uh, during the plagues and, and killed the firstborn of every man and beast, uh, and there was great lamentation in Egypt, um, and thus the people were free. They were sent away, uh, and so as a commemoration, the Lord said, every firstborn male that opens the womb should be consecrated to me. The firstborn should always be mine. And so that was, a, that was what the presentation was, is Jesus is the firstborn son. And so they go to the temple to give him to the Lord, to give him, to, to present him to God. And so part of that ceremony is that you would bring the child, you present them to the priest at the temple. The priest would receive them as having been given to God. Uh, and then it was customary that, that the couple would give a few shekels uh, to the priest, a sort of temple donation, and the, the priest would give the child back and off you go. You know, the presentation is completed. You've given your child to the Lord. You've presented them, been willing to part with them, uh, and that was the fulfillment of things. And our, our guide on the trip said that this is actually a custom that's maintained. It's harder to find a priest now in the, in the lineage, uh, but, but there are some that are, that are around. And so for his own grandson, they, he was telling us the story of they, they got the priest and they got everything lined up and, and you know, they brought their grandson and, and gave him to the priest, and the priest offered the prayers and, and this kind of thing. And then they, you know, the parents held out five shekels to the priest, and he said, you can keep your money. I'll keep the kid. He's kind of cute, you know. It was, you know, kind of a joking thing, of, of course. But, you know, it was this, it was this, this recognition that, that the child belongs to the Lord, you know. And so you'd, you'd present the child, and then you'd offer some shekels, and you'd hope the child would come back to you, you know. But it wasn't really a guarantee. And so... But it's this, it's, this is the presentation. So the child is given over to the Lord, given over, you know, essentially as an offering to God. And so this is the presentation, but there's, there's also the words that are spoken of the child as he is brought into the temple. And to these we have the persons of Anna and Simeon, the two older folks who, who are faithful to the Lord. Anna, a widow, has, has been there for decades, uh, continuously night and day keeping vigils and offering praises to God in the temple. And Simeon, who also is faithful to the Lord, continually going to the house of God to offer praise and prayers. And it's the, it's the Lord who, who actually spoke to Simeon. We don't know exactly when it took place or how it happened, but Simeon had received the word from God that you will not die before you see the Christ. The Lord made a promise to him. You will not die before you see the Christ. And so 
faithfully he would go to the temple and, and, and he would continue to, to turn to the Lord, waiting for the day, decades presumably passing, waiting for the day where the Christ would be manifest before him. And so this is what happens when Our Lady and St. Joseph come in, you know, they, they come in, you know, this, this young girl and her spouse with, with a child in her arms, and, and the words of Simeon ring forth from his lips, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. Your promise has been kept, Lord. I've seen the Christ. I've seen him with my own eyes. Let me go in peace, right? I can die now. I can die because that's all you said. You said, I would persevere until I saw him, and I have. Everything else is grace, I guess. But then he continues on. He says, he he speaks specifically of the child Jesus, and he says, this is the glory of Israel and a light of revelation to the Gentiles. The glory of Israel is a, is a special thing that for Jewish, for Jewish ears would have, would have kind of perked up a bit when they heard the glory of Israel. Because the glory of Israel, the, the people understood, was, was God himself. The glory of Israel, it was the glory cloud. It was the, the cloud of, of it, was the, it was a pillar of cloud uh, during the day when you could see and a pillar of fire at night when you couldn't see it. Um, and so it was this, this large pillar was, the, was God himself leading the people out of Israel. It was in the Exodus. They just simply followed the pillar and it led them to the promised land. And whenever they built the temple, the pillar came and it descended into the temple, into the, into the, the Holy of Holies. And God dwelled there. God's glory was present in the temple. Parenthetically, this is the, the reason why the, the, when people go there, they go to the, the so-called wailing wall, where people, you know, they go and you see people putting the little slips of paper, the intentions, and, and people praying at the wall. And it's, it's not because it's just the only wall that's left. There are several walls that are left where they could go and put things, but it's because that's the place that was the closest in proximity to where the glory, the glory of the Lord was. It was basically on the other side of the wailing wall is where the Holy of Holies was. So where God dwelled in this particular place, God was here. And so they want to be, and they want to pray in the place that is as close as possible to it. It's a good, sensible thing. And so the glory was God. But the problem is, at some point in the people, in the people of Israel's history, they had so displeased the Lord and fallen away from him that the glory cloud ascended again and left. And so God wasn't with them. His glory was no longer in the temple. And this will be a great sadness. We had had the Lord with us, but now he's gone. And there would be a longing and a, a hope and expectation for his return. When, O oh Lord, will you come? How long till you come to us? The Psalms are full of these, these exasperated you know, calls to heaven. How long, Lord? And so it's important whenever, whenever Simeon sees the child and he says, this is the glory of Israel. He's saying, the glory has come back to the temple. God is with us again. He's not just saying like, he's the best and the brightest, you know, like gold star, A plus, A plus, you know, Israelite. He's saying like, this is God and he's come to us again. He's no longer in the, in the, in the cloud and the fire. He's in this boy. This is God in midst. Emmanuel, he is with us. This is what he proclaims. And Anna comes as well. 
and to be able to speak of these realities, particularly in regards to our Blessed Mother, and, and to, to be able to speak of, of all the things that the boy's life is meant to, to for, you know, all the things that are foretold in it. Namely, that, you know, she says, your heart too, a sword shall pierce, right? But speaking of, the, of Christ, we know that his heart was pierced on the cross, and the things that, that she said were true, speaking of his passion, speaking of his death. So all of this contained right at the first in the first days of the life of our Lord. And the great gift is that, that all of this is on account of a single virtue, and simplifying it a bit, of course, the simple virtue of obedience. Obedience is not a word that our culture likes today, and the culture isn't far off because it's not a word that we ourselves like it very much, very often. There's something uh, that's very honest about children, especially the, the little ones when they're first starting to, to kind of get their words about them and starting to discover their own will and personality. And around the, around the two-ish age mark, as we all know, there becomes this, this fantastic word that is frequently found on the lips of children, and it is two letters, no. Anytime there are commands, an easy response is no. It's, it's, our, it's built into our nature at this point, our corrupted nature, because Adam and Eve, what was their response? The Lord said, don't do that thing, and they said no, and they did that thing, and we all suffer the consequence of it. The truth is that there's a little two-year-old inside every one of our hearts, and that little one, sometimes, whenever the Lord God speaks to us, says no. And we like it that way, because that's the way we want it to be. That's the way we've, we've thought it out in our own minds. I remember there was a, a, I guess it was a commercial of some sort when I was, when I was a kid watching the Saturday morning cartoons. And one of them, it was, it was a, you know, kind of a little motivational, encouraging type thing, and it said, great minds think alike. And then like, the genie from Aladdin popped up from the corner. He said, no, great minds think for themselves. And you think that's kind of a neat thing. You know, like, yeah, be, be an innovator, be a, you know, push the envelope and, you know, be a creative soul. And, you know, we can, we can try to put it in all kinds of ways. But, but really, to simply rely solely upon one's own thoughts is really to, to reject everything the faith has told us is to reject our elders, is to reject our tradition, is to reject the truths passed down to us from generation to generation, and simply for us to decide whenever it is, whatever it is that we ourselves think, that can be our truth, right? Our relativism for the world today. To simply think for oneself, not to lean upon what others have said, no matter how, how true it might be. The world would love us to think for ourselves, so would with the evil one. And it's this fact that we do try to think for ourselves. We come, and the Lord God gives us a whole variety of things of which he requires of us, or expects of us at least, obedience. And it's not because he's just some kind of, you know, kind of high and mighty ruler all full of himself, and he's just kind of, we're subservient because that's what we do. We just have to say yes, sir, to whatever he says. He's created us. He's created and, and knit, knit every fiber of our being together with great knowledge and understanding, better of us than we have of ourselves, and he knows what is good for us, and he commands it of us. He gives us rules and regulations to be able to lead us 
into the path of holiness of life, of happiness of life, and of eternal life. But sometimes we simply don't like it. We can look at a whole variety of ways in which this happens. Certainly there the reality of, of holy days of obligation, which many people, by their own thought, say no. And it becomes for them a, a holy day of if I have the time or if I feel like it today or, you know, these kinds of things where they, they, they don't feel an obligation, but they feel kind of, you know, maybe if I make it, if I, if I wake up, you know, if I wake up after the, after the New Year's celebrations and I'm not hungover, you know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get to church that day, right? There's reality also that, that the Sunday, you know, the Sunday obligation to attend Mass every single week. There are many who will simply say, no, because I've got things that come up sometimes. We've got this tournament to go to. Or we've got to travel that day, or it'd be, it'd be easier for me to do this out of the other thing rather than to be able to get to Mass. And certainly we can point to a whole variety of places in the moral teachings of the church where the, where the world and so many in the church continually say, no, no, no. It's quite discouraging to look at the, the statistics, the number of people who, who the church is very clear in our teaching on contraception, and yet the vast majority of Catholics say, no, I'll do my own thing. I've got my own thoughts. I don't need yours, Jesus. Thanks for your opinion. But I think for myself. And this disobedience pulls us away from the Lord. Those are kind of larger things that may be of, of more grave matter, but it also happens in the small things. It's the obedience of Simeon that allows him to see the face of God because the Holy Spirit prompted him and said to Simeon, go to the temple. And Simeon said, yes, Lord. And he went. But maybe, maybe he was hungry that day and he's like, all right, well, okay, I'll go to the temple, but, but I'm going to get a little snack sandwich first. I'm just going to make myself a little sandwich, just five minutes, not a big deal, right? Or maybe I've got things to do, or, you know, or, or there's this, this other stuff that needs to happen. I've got, a, got, a, you know, got this project to work on, somebody to visit. It would be easy for him to have simply said, no, or, or even just, okay, Lord, but, but not right now. And if that had happened, he would not have seen the Lord. The promise of God would not have been fulfilled for Simeon, not on account of God's infidelity, but on account of Simeon's. And the same thing happens to us too. Simeon doesn't have a unique market on the gift of the Holy Spirit speaking to him. Every one of us has the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts by virtue of our baptism. And at times, he calls us to do something. Sometimes he wants us to, to go to a particular place, like Simeon was called, or to speak to a particular person, or to be able to, to read a particular passage from a book in the sacred scriptures. The Lord can compel us to do all kinds of things, but we also have the option, and we take it too frequently, and saying no. And whether we say things large or small, no to the Lord, the simple fact is that it is always to our detriment. Because the Lord calls us to himself. He wants what is good for us. And it's we who too often are fighting for that which does us harm. It's we who say no when no brings us unhappiness and we wonder what happened. This is the grace of this mystery is we see Mary and Joseph who, who seek to fulfill even the smallest pieces of the law to be able to, to go to the temple, present the child for Our Lady to be purified. We see it in Anna and Simeon, 
these faithful ones who are obedient to the Lord and remaining there and praying and going to the temple to pray. We see these examples, and we have this assurance and this encouragement of the fruit of the mystery, which is obedience for ourselves. Seeing them, we know that if we are obedient to God, if we are obedient to the church, if we are obedient to our, our, our rightly, rightly given worldly, you know, worldly leaders, whether, whether family leaders or civic leaders or whatever the case may be, if we are willing to submit in obedience and in great trust and humility, we will, like Simeon, be able to behold the face of God. His promises to us will be fulfilled. And we'll be able to rejoice to see the glory of the Lord in our midst. But if not, we will miss all of these things. And so as we offer this holy mystery, as we, as we come and celebrate this great feast of the maternity of Our Lady, to know that she is the mother of God himself, to rejoice in the fact that God is in our midst and he desires our good. Let us submit ourselves to him. Let us submit our will to him in obedience to him, that in all things we might indeed be a joyful yes and behold the face of God.